Not a bad day outside, and you know what? It's probably going to attract a couple of people. Here's some information, just in case you're walking around downtown in the next little while. The street preachers are back. I'm not sure they ever left. In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't. We talked when it became public news that nuisance charges had been filed under the new bylaw that had been created that these individuals faced up to a $10,000 fine. That should be a deterrent, shouldn't it? I don't know about you. If somebody knocked on my door and said, yeah, what you're doing, that could result in a $10,000 fine. You know what I would do? I would stop doing whatever that was. I don't care if it is catching fish, which I don't do well, uh, shoveling my driveway at the wrong time of day, having my, a basketball net extend out over the road. I almost got into trouble for that one time. Uh, we moved the basketball net. You know, that's fine. Whatever I'm doing wrong, if I can see that, yeah, it's probably not anything I should be doing, you're going to change your behavior. Unless, of course, you firmly believe in it. I mean, there was a story that came out late yesterday regarding students at Lord Roberts not being able to use the playground equipment from this age to this age. We all have to remember that the Board of Education, doesn't matter what board, that's why I'm calling it the Board of Education, doesn't matter what one, is all about liability. Anything that is going to produce liability, nope, not interested. And that's just the way that schools operate these days. Is it the right way? Probably not. Is there another way? Mm, I'm not sure there is, because that's how they operate. If they can be liable for something, not going to happen. And talk to a school board official about what you have to deal with, and you'll realize why they do behave that way. Does it sound stupid not to let kids use playground equipment? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. This is dumb. But when you factor in liability, it changes everything. So that's a topic for another day. But in terms of the street preachers, I got a text yesterday, and that text, I want to go back and read it to you, was from someone that I know, and they happened to be out downtown, and here is what they were told. You should not, or sorry, let me get it right. You should wear a long dress if you ever want to see Christ. That's what they were told. So maybe the street preachers have toned it down a little bit. You know, you you can't necessarily look at that and say, ah, it's not really threatening. Is it being a nuisance? Yeah. Yeah. But here's my question in all of this. When you have the street preachers out doing their thing, if the threat is for a fine and they cannot pay the fine, because I don't know much about these two individuals, but if you're spending a lot of your time either wearing a sandwich board or accosting people in public, then I don't think you're working much. And I don't. the last time I checked... There was no ad in the help wanted section anywhere online on a, on a bulletin board by way of a web service, some kind of, of, of way of, of, of spreading the news, zip recruiter. There was no ad saying wanted street preacher. That was not a thing. You don't make money doing that. So if you can't pay the fine, then what? You know, is there is there action beyond that? We'll have to find that out. We will absolutely have to find that out. But just know that they are back. So in terms of of what you can do and what you can't do, 
they're kind of walking through it because they've been told, don't do what you've been doing. You now face fines, and they're still doing it. We had kids on playground equipment being told, you can't do that. They're still doing it. Is there a line to draw between those two? Yeah, unfortunately, there is. Let's go to the phones. Marilyn, how are you on this Tuesday? Well, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm going to do my wash today. But anyways, what I called up about were those two nuts who are not preachers, who have not got uh, degrees in theology. They were at our church about three weeks ago. Really? And, you know, we have a brilliant pastor. I wouldn't drive 10 to 15 miles to church now, Marilyn, on a Sunday. were they inside the church or were they oh, outside yes, the church? Yes, they were inside the church. Okay. And we have a very brilliant preacher and a good staff. Anyways, they started arguing with the preacher, and they were put out. And the next time they come... Well, uh, pardon me, they, they told one woman she shouldn't have slacks on. And that anyways, they were put out, and the next time we're going to call the police on them. Now, how, did they leave in a nice civil manner? Did somebody walk over and say, hey, we don't tolerate this here, well, can two, you please leave? Well, two men went, walked over to them, and a, I wasn't there that Sunday. But um, anyways, uh, of course, I knew all of, got to know all about it. I wish I had been there. I would have thrown them on my my uh, walker, and I would have thrown them right out. I'm telling you that because I wear makeup, and I wear slacks all the time now because they're comfortable for me. But I think it's appalling, and apparently they're doing that to all the churches. But, uh, the so next this is time, their new strategy, showing up at churches and arguing oh, with it, preachers? Yes. We're not the only church. I go to Ford City Bible on Wonderland um, Road north of Sanchez. It's about a block and a half, and it's really building up around our church now. But anyways, it's a lovely, peaceful church, lovely people. We're not fanatics, and uh, we have a brilliant, brilliant uh, pastor and uh, uh, assistant pastor, but and lovely, lovely people. They had no business coming into our church or any other church, but they have been to other churches. Interesting. Marilyn, I hadn't heard this. Thanks for raising this. You have a good day. Well, you too, dear. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Dan, you wanted to have a word on this. Hey, Dan. Oh, hello. Hey. How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, just uh, those street preachers. Um, yeah, I, just, uh, I know like, uh, money is trying to deter them, but uh, yeah, one of those guys, he's the son of uh, the tri-car owner. Yeah, they're, well, I mean, depends on which ones we're talking about. I, I don't want to point any fingers exactly because I don't know that uh, that the two individuals that we keep talking about are are the ones that uh, that are connected that way. What would you What would you do what, if if they're going to continue to do this despite the charges? What would you do? I don't know. I would uh, do some little more than ten grand. That's for sure. If you don't care about money. Yeah, and and I think that's that's the issue. They. If they're going to stand out and keep doing it, even under the threat of a $10,000 fine, there isn't much that's going to stop them. Dan, thanks so much for the call. Richard, last word on this. 
Let's, I got a question, Mike, that has never been answered, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but I would like to ask a question to London's top bylaw officer by the name of Ors Kratolik. This has never, ever been mentioned. Why were we in London, right? Why were we able to set up a massive sting operation, and we brought down a cancer driver and forced her to come into full compliance with the law? We slapped her right with a $3,000 fine, and if it hadn't have been for a former Ward 4 city councillor, Stephen Orser, who came to her aid, I don't know what that particular lady would do. So if we can bring down a cancer driver in this city, Ors, right, who is, not, uh, who is breaking our bylaws, right, why can't we bring down a couple of street preachers, right, who are yelling obscenities, right, at women and children? That question has never been answered, Mike, and I would certainly love to get an answer to that question. You have a good afternoon, Mike. Richard, thanks for the call. Uh, you know what, just in, in thinking about it, I think if we're to look at the cancer driver story that you were talking about, I think it's more that person was willing to stop once they were discovered. I think that's probably what it comes down to. These two appear unwilling to stop. They're back out there. I don't know whether you want to weigh high as you walk by downtown. Lots to get to on the show today. I'm, I can't wait. In about an hour and 25 minutes, we're going to talk with global national reporter Abigail Beeman. We were talking about Donald Trump, U.S. president, last week, and I always think that Donald Trump would do himself a big favor to have his speechwriter write a speech. I don't even know if he has a speechwriter. He believes that he can get by without it. No, you are not a great orator, and you can, you can do a lot of things if you are someone who is a great orator. You will find all kinds of support in places you never thought you could just by being a good speaker. It will happen. Now, I look at this story that continues to develop with SNC-Lavalin, and we're going to talk with Abigail Beeman about her trip to Port Elgin because somebody happened to notice that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would mention job loss, and he would mention all kinds of cities. So they would be big cities, and then all of a sudden he'd throw in Port Elgin. And he did this at one function, and then he did it at another location, and he did it at another location, and it caused Abigail Beeman to go to Port Elgin. So we're going to talk about her trip there and what it was that she uncovered about Port Elgin, but I'm thinking that this just goes to Prime Minister Trudeau's speechwriter. You know, they throw this in and he's repeating the same message. He's got that that little run of cities, whatever it was, you know, Port Elgin to Saskatoon to Calgary and back to Montreal. And so there, there was a big run of cities. And I think it just it goes to that. But it's put Port Elgin in the middle of this and it has helped to uncover a connection between Port Elgin and SNC-Lavalin. So I'm really interested to see how that happens. We're going to be talking women's hockey. And this is something else that is going to be a, a hopefully a really good conversation. Candace Moxley is the head coach of Western's women's hockey team. But how much do you know about Candace Moxley? Do you know that Candace was around when the CWHL, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, was essentially being created? So she was there right from day one. And they're trying to drum up sponsorships. And this thing did get going. And now this past weekend, it was announced, that's it. No more Canadian Women's Hockey League. The one thing that has been talked about is we've had two rival women's hockey leagues for a while. Canadian Women's Hockey League and the National Women's Hockey League in the United States. And 
there's been a lot of concern about that. You, you can't have two rival leagues. The National Hockey League had the WHA for a while. What happened there? The WHA was a bit of a mess, but eventually four teams were absorbed by the National Hockey League. You had to get one main league, and both of them were kind of rival leagues. Now, will this be, in fact, a positive for women's professional hockey? We'll talk about that in less than an hour from now. And we're also going to find out more about Run for Retina. And I do want to congratulate everybody who was in behind making the London Sports Celebrity Dinner and Auction the success that it was last night. Because it was held... At the London Convention Center, beautiful setting as always. I loved all of the attention that they put on athletes in this area. You know, you mixed in John Gibbons and Ray Bork and Tessa and Scott and other celebrities. And you still had a thread of honoring people from this area who don't necessarily get the recognition they deserve, plus high school athletes. That was kind of played out throughout the night, and I thought that was really well done because it does make it a true celebration of sport, which is what that was intended to be. And I thought they did a really good job of that last night. So congratulations to Ryan Robinson and the rest of his committee on the 63rd Sports Celebrity Dinner and Auction. Oh, and we have had a couple of other suggestions on the bet if you missed it yesterday i'll recap this in a minute and i also want to talk about something else we didn't get to yesterday license plates because it seems more and more i keep waiting for this to have been an april fool's joke yesterday or just a story that kind of fizzles out and it doesn't seem to be fizzling changing the wording on ontario's license plates this is not a good idea And I don't like the ring of what's being suggested. We'll talk about that next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Couple of words. I want to thank Mike, because Mike has given a great idea for the bet. Putting together a friendly bet. At least I am. The Knights take on the Guelph Storm in round two of the OHL playoff. Series begins on Friday night. And there's been a a lot of talk about what the series is going to do. A lot of people asking the London Sports Celebrity Dinner and Auction last night, what's going to happen? I honestly think you can make an argument, and this is not a cop-out. I honestly think you can make an argument for all eight teams that are left to win an OHL championship. You know, if there's anybody that maybe is in tough, it's Oshawa, who traded two of their best players to the team that they're facing in the second round. But you can make an argument that any one of the teams could win a championship and be right. So in terms of the Knights and the Storm, we are part of the Chorus Radio family. And we happen to broadcast Knights games in Guelph. Chorus Radio broadcasts Guelph Storm games. And so I want to do a little friendly bet between myself and Larry Malott. And Larry has said he's up for this. But he doesn't want the face painting that was suggested yesterday. Uh, Craig suggested waxing. I didn't mind that. I think losing a bet, and maybe it's just because I'm, maybe I'm confident in this. Uh, I feel confident. But I think uh, losing a bet should involve some sort of slight pain, not horrible pain, but at least a little bit of pain, or shame. One of the two. Otherwise, it's not a fun bet. There's, you've got nothing in the game. You know, if if it's just, I don't know, if it, if it's an apology or here's a cheer, that no, that's not enough. That's not, and that's not being suggested. But Mike, 
emailed in and he said, do you remember the Mighty Ducks movie? Do you remember when they tied the goaltender Goldberg to the net? That's what you guys should do. The loser of the bet has to be tied to the net and the other guy gets 10 free shots. You would be wearing goalie gear. I don't mind that at all. Now, I'm not sure that my good friend Larry Millat is going to go for it. Could I do one thing or or put one thing on the line and Larry put another thing on the line? Is that a, is that a legitimate bet? And by the way, if you do have any suggestions, you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. So that's where we sit. I'm willing to, you tie me to the net, fire 10 pucks at me, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good show. That's, that is a legitimate end of a bet if you do not win. So we'll see what, what happens. But I would put that one, Mike, thank you for it, in the lead. Uh we want to talk just very quickly about license plates, and this may require some suggestions as well, because at first I thought it was an April Fool's story, because I thought it was dumb. And then it just kept going, and now it keeps going. And Travis Danraj, who is our Queen's Park reporter, has reported on this. The idea that we would change the slogan on our license plates. First off, I'm not paying for a new license plate. Sorry. Mine are fine. You know, we have a couple of license plates. Both are fine. I don't want to change these things. But we used to have the slogan, keep it beautiful. Then that was changed to yours to discover. Those are nice. Keep it beautiful. That, that was fine, but it, it was time for it to go. Yours to discover is great. We've got a huge province. If you ever tried to drive to Manitoba, staying only in Ontario, you'll realize how big this province is. That is a yours to discover. Now... We get the suggestion that Premier Rob or Premier Doug Ford wants to make this open for business, that he wants that to be the license plate slogan. Is there a cheesier and worse license plate slogan anywhere? I've looked up all the ones that they use in the United States. It doesn't look like they have many slogans in Europe, but all of the ones they use in the United States, even the ones that are rated worst, are not like that. That's bad. That's not what you want. Even Al just emailed in saying, nothing but a Ford vanity project. Huh? I like that. I like putting that in, the vanity. Um, this is not something that is going to help Ontario at all. Open for business. You're going to have anyone visiting saying, what does that even mean, open for business? That's not what we need. So the idea that, first off, it would be changed. Secondly, how long would it actually take? We did look this up, and it wouldn't take as long as you think for you to start to see some of these license plates because I think it took six years when they put in the the four letters. Remember when we used to only have three letters and then three numbers? When they started putting in that extra A, I think it took six years to run through all of the A combinations. Six years? That's not very many years. So in six years, you would have a good dose of open for business. Would you even want that on your vehicle? The other suggestion is they would get rid of the front license plate. So you'd only have one in the back. Now, some provinces already have that. Alberta is one that only has a rear license plate. I think that hurts the police, to tell you the truth, doesn't it? Don't you want more ways to identify a car? If you're looking at the sport of football, you've got numbers all over the place. You know, because the guys are rolling around all the time, you've got to be able to see who that is. There's a number on the front, there's numbers on the shoulders, a number on the back. Hockey has numbers on the arms. 
No, you, you want as much identification as possible, don't you? And if this is a cash grab for a maker of license plates in some way, then it doesn't make sense to just limit it to one. Is that because we're all going to have to buy a new one and now the Ontario government can say, well, hey, whoa, 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 we're saving you money. Yes, look at this. Saving you money. See, if we had done this in the old way, you'd have to buy two license plates. Now you only have to buy one. I hope that's not their logic, and I hope we're not that dumb. So, if you have any good license plate slogans, we need those too, because maybe we can send those through to Queen's Park and uh, find out whether or not we can change some minds there. Maybe, Maybe get ahead of this and give them a better suggestion than open for business. We'll take a break. News is next, and then we're going to find out about Run for Retina. You had your retina checked recently? You gone for an eye exam? Well, there are things to know about your retina. There are signs to watch out for. We're going to learn about that, and we're going to learn about people aiming to help this weekend. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Matt McInnes is producing the show today. Matt just took a call during news, and thanks for this. As you come over the bridge from Detroit into Windsor, there is apparently a new billboard that says, Welcome to Ontario, open for business. We knew these were coming, didn't we? But now that it's here, I don't like it. I don't like the image that that portrays. It's it's sleazy, isn't it? Open for business. It it has negative connotations. I don't like that that's my province. Was this run by any focus groups? You know, everybody can hate focus groups and let's get some people together and put them in a room and see how they think. Yeah, but sometimes that's good because then before an idea actually gets out there, you can vet it. You can say, hey, what do you think of this? I don't like that at all. Okay, then we won't do that. You know, if one person hates it, eh, maybe it's just a person. If all people hate it, is there anybody? Can you find me someone, please? If you are that person, you have to let us know. Do you like that slogan? Do you think open for business is a positive for Ontario? Sleazy. Or am I just reading something into this that I shouldn't be? They're just words. No, no. What? I want my province, you know, think about Michigan. Something as simple as pure Michigan. At first you would have thought, eh, I don't know about that one. Pure maple syrup maybe, not pure Michigan. But now it's grown on us, hasn't it? has a lot to do with Tim Allen. So I'm wondering, is it too early on if they start using open for business? Will that just grow on me? I don't think so. Sleaze. That's what it says to me. Lots to do on the show. We're going to be talking women's hockey in just a little while. And I'll set the stage in about 10 minutes from now. And then I encourage you to be listening in about a half hour from now. Because we're going to speak with somebody who was there from the beginning of the Canadian Women's Hockey League. To the point that when they sold a sponsorship, she was the one who was putting the sponsor's name up around the arena before they went out and played. That's how early on she was involved. Clarkson Cup champion, and now good connection to London. Candace Moxley is the head coach of Western's women's hockey team. And we're going to talk women's professional hockey. Is this something that can last? 
Is it something that can happen? Uh, well, it's happened. Had two leagues up until the weekend when, when one league now remains. But is this something that is sustainable over a long period of time? And we'll look at a couple of things before we get to talking with Candace with regard to that. This weekend, we have something big on the way. And it's something very important, something that maybe we don't think enough about. There are a lot of things we can do that are miracles in medicine. And one of those things is LASIK eye surgery. Yeah, but that's just a very tiny thing. When we look at the eye, there are very few things that we can do to improve or fix when things go wrong with sight. And that's why it's pretty important to make sure that we pay attention to what is happening in our eyes. Run for Retina Research is taking place this Sunday at Springbank Gardens in London. And Kim Spreet has been nice enough to join us. Kim, how are things? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Mike. Kim, let's talk a little bit about the importance. When when we see Run for Retina Research, we see a lot of great alliteration, but why is it important for us to know more about our retinas? Well, there are many diseases that affect the retina. I have one called Stargardt's disease, which is a genetic form of macular degeneration. And macular degeneration is the leading cause of blindness in people over the age of 55. And at the IBI Institute, they're doing, they do a lot of work to help these people with these eye disorders. They see thousands of patients every year. When you talk about what you are experiencing, it goes along with a number of things that maybe we never hear about. Coates disease, uh, Usher syndrome, Best's disease. Are we not doing enough to get the information out about these particular things that they aren't more household terms than what they are? Well, a lot of those eye diseases are uh, very rare, although, like you said, it's like retinitis pigmentosa is another eye disorder, um, that they're making great um, strides in stem cell research. So you will hear more about those uh, eye disorders as the research continues. We're talking with Kim Spreet. We're talking about Run for Retina Research, which happens this weekend at Springbank Gardens, and it will begin at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Now, is that registration at 8, or does the run itself begin at 8? Uh, you can register at 8. Uh, the first run goes off at 9.15. So we have a half marathon, a 10K, a 5K, and a 2.5K fun run walk. Uh, and um, all those runs um, start start at 9.15 and on. You can check on our website, runforretinaresearch.ca, and it will give you um, a list of the um, times that all the runs uh, take place. Mike, would you mind if I explain something that's really exciting that going to be happening with the funds that we've raised through Run for Retina Research? I think we'd love it if you did exactly that. So we have raised over half a million dollars uh, for uh, the IBI Institute. And in the next six months to a year, our funds will be purchasing a 3D viewing system, which will help surgeons in the OR uh, see a 3D image on a screen while they're operating on a patient. And what happens now is they stare through a microscope 
and it causes a lot of fatigue. But when they're looking up at the screen, they'll be able to see a much more depth in their surgery and much more flexibility. And it also is a great teaching tool because everyone in the OR, including students, can see firsthand what the what the surgeon is doing. So it's amazing. This this is being made possible by funds that you have been raising from where? From the Run for Retina Research. Fantastic. Here. Yeah, so we're pretty happy about that, and we appreciate Londoners supporting us. And as you said, um, the IVI Institute is important to everybody in this city. We are so fortunate to have it, and this will just improve the care and the surgery um, at uh, the IVI Institute. Registration begins at 8 o'clock this coming Sunday morning at Springbank Gardens. It's a beautiful place to go. And as Kim says, there is a distance for absolutely everybody. Kim, when we look at macular degeneration, and you've talked about the fact that you have a type of macular degeneration, what is life like for you? Well, um, I lost my driver's license when I was 40 because of visual acuity. Uh, for me, um, I sort of lost my independence. I've kind of gotten used to that. Uh, I don't read well. I listen to everything on um, audio. And I have real problems seeing people's faces. So I'm really big on voice recognition. Um, I've kind of adapted to um, this eye disease. Uh, I can't say I'm not frustrated at times because not driving, but um, hey, I'm very lucky. I have my health in a lot of other ways, so uh, it is what it is. But I'm legally blind, um, and that's another thing. People forget there's so many degrees of uh, blindness. I can see quite well, um, and I'm legally blind. So we should be more aware when people say they can't see something that we really don't understand uh, blindness that well. Kim Spree joining us as we talk about Run for Retina Research. Uh, just got an email from Ron. He said he worked with you back at the CNIB years ago. He said to say hi and good luck. Uh, Kim, is, is it, is it a, a point at which you still hold out hope that there could be something that helps to reverse your condition? Well, they've identified the gene, and as I said, there's a, a lot of research on stem cell um, d- developing. Um, if I see it in my lifetime, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, uh, I think a cure for a lot of eye diseases is on the way. Well, let's hope so. Kim, we want to wish you the best of luck again. Registration, 8 a.m. Is there a minimum donation or a way that people should be collecting donations between now and then? Well, there is a pledge form uh, online, but you can also pledge for your favorite runner or whoever's participating online. Uh, and there is a fee to uh, run run or walk uh, the event. And we have a great giveaway. We always give out a, a great giveaway. And this year, it's a really nice technical shirt and a hat. Uh, we kind of pride ourselves on our giveaways. So come on down and find a race that's uh, appropriate for you. Kim, thanks so much for all your time today. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Kim Spreet. 
Run for retina research this coming Sunday. And again, when you hear Coates disease, you don't know much about it. And I love the fact that Kim said, we have to realize when someone is legally blind, there are so many different degrees. And the research that is being done, especially here locally, the IVI Research Institute, it's pretty amazing. Um, So we'll see what comes up in the next few years because we're going to see a whole lot of medical advancements in a lot of areas. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? We will take a break. Up next, let's talk some women's hockey, women's professional hockey, and how the evolution of the leagues that are in place now has gone. I mean, if we were to talk about women's professional hockey years and years, you could go, if you went all the way back to the time of, you know, World War II and and I think even before World War II, maybe even been World War One. I'd have to check my history books, but you had women's hockey that was not just prominent, was incredibly successful. Now, when we look recently, it's difficult. No matter what you do, it gets cut up into very small pieces by the pie of attention that we have. Our pie maybe used to have eight pieces in it. Now it has about 8,000 pieces in it. You're just you're going after that sliver. Women's professional hockey has battled against that and was making inroads in this country for sure. Just look at the attendance at the Clarkson Cup, in which London's own Caitlin Goslin won the Clarkson Cup. Now, the league itself, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, has folded. I want to address that and get you set for one of our next guests. Candace Moxley is going to join us in about 20 minutes. And we'll talk about where she was when the Canadian Women's Hockey League got going and get her thoughts on whether this may be a step back to go forward. But also the challenges that exist for female professional hockey players. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have an awful lot going after our entertainment dollar these days, don't we? If you operate an entertainment-style business, you know how tough it is. And if you operate any business, what do you need in order to succeed? You need clientele. So if we were to turn back the clock 20 years, 25 years, we still had a lot of competition for the entertainment dollar, but... Things were a little bit different when we look at clientele. If we want to open a store and we want to sell red scarves, that's it. That's all we're going to sell. Forget all this marijuana stuff. Let's sell red scarves. Okay. We may have one or two people who come in and say, I really like your red scarves. They're very comfortable. I really enjoy these. But chances are we're not going to have the number of people that we need in order to use our red scarf store and put food on the table. That's not going to happen. Now, when you look at women's professional hockey, I think if you rewound time enough, you would find a point at which you could say, yeah, you're just you're competing for the entertainment dollar against hockey fans who are getting their fix from the National Hockey League primarily or who are getting their fix from major junior centers and major junior hockey. They are getting their fix from other junior hockey or the American Hockey League, if that's near to you. It was difficult for them to find fans because you have to have somebody willing to buy your product. 
And the argument always had to be, if you had an NHL game on versus a, let's use what it was, Canadian Women's Hockey League game on, you're going to have more people interested in that Canadian Women's Hockey League. But what have we seen? Over the past 20 years, we have seen this massive rivalry in women's hockey, Canada versus the United States. And when there is a women's Olympic game on featuring Canada and the U.S., you don't miss it. You watch that game and you enjoy that game. Those are phenomenal games. We had a game here at Budweiser Gardens and it was sold out and it was a great game. Now, the difference is, I think we've got more of the population that has recognized, hey, I like what I'm seeing. And we've got more girls playing hockey. We've seen numbers of girls playing hockey on the rise, whereas numbers of boys playing hockey has been on the fall. Now, the number of boys playing hockey used to be a bigger number. And, you know, again, cutting up the entertainment pie, cutting up the sport playing pie. In this case, though, we're in a position where I really believe you have the numbers that you need not to turn this into, hey, we have this particular player who has just signed for $3 million. We're not there. But to sustain, yes. I think we're getting closer and closer to that. Now, one of the issues that the Canadian Women's Hockey League just had was they couldn't sustain themselves. The model that they were working on, they could not sustain themselves. And we get caught up in talking about professional sports and thinking, well, you know, it was, you know, it was inevitable because it's difficult to pay people enough of a wage. No, no, this wasn't even a wage. This was an honorarium. The most anybody was making was ten grand, and there were very few people making that. We're talking about people making fifteen hundred bucks to play, two thousand dollars to play for the year. So they were having to work other jobs and then find ways to keep in shape, to train, to travel. Because if you were playing in the Canadian Women's Hockey League, you had to travel to places like Calgary and Montreal. Or you had to travel from Calgary to Toronto. And that was a reality for them. So this was not about money. This was about starting to get things going. Now, the other thing to keep in mind before our next guest joins us is this. There are two women's hockey leagues that have been operating. Now we're down to one. You had the one in Canada, and you had the National Women's Hockey League operating in the United States. Essentially, they were rival leagues competing for the same players. You can't have that. That's not going to work in the end. And the talk was one needed to absorb the other, or they needed to be amalgamated, or whatever. So the question now becomes... You don't have the Canadian Women's Hockey League anymore. Will that just funnel everybody to the National Women's Hockey League? You'll have the best of the best. It'll expand, it'll grow, and boom, we'll be off. Well, it's not quite that simple. And that's what we'll get to after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. We'll tell you what else is coming up in Hour 2 of the program next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up next hour, we are going to talk with Abigail Beeman about her trip to Port Elgin. This is a neat story. Because Prime Minister Justin Trudeau kept tying Port Elgin into SNC-Lavalin. Well, there is a connection. And Abigail Beeman went to Port Elgin, found that connection, and will enlighten us on that. That's coming up in about 45 minutes from now. We will talk with Candace Moxley, head coach of Western's women's hockey team, but one of the pioneers of the Canadian Women's Hockey League that has now ceased operations. But what does this mean? for pro hockey, for female players. And we have a lot of aspiring players in this city. 
The London Devilettes program is one of the best female hockey programs anywhere. So we'll get her thoughts on that. And that's coming up after Jacqueline LaBelle and news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We are going to talk with Abigail Beeman, Global National Reporter, Ottawa Bureau Chief. And we're going to do that in about 35 minutes on the connection between Port Elgin and SNC-Lavalin. But even before that, let's have a conversation about the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Before news, we gave you a little background. And it's easy to say, well, something like the CWHL has to be able to support itself through ticket sales. And I think that was true 20 years ago. But I think the world is a different place. And I think that we may be in a position to see people go and choose a women's professional league over other choices of entertainment. I think we have enough hockey-playing females who are turning themselves into hockey-watching females who, if you have the ability to live out the dream of saying, hey, I could one day play professional hockey, I'm going to do that. We've had a lot of pioneers so far. You know, when any sport began, you can go back to its earliest incarnation. You can go back to the NHL and you can find guys in the 70s and even 80s who had to have summer jobs. No, you can't. Yes, you can. 70s and 80s, they would get jobs in the summer to supplement their incomes. We get so used to Bryce Harper signing for $330 million. We get so used to Steph Curry playing for over $40 million. John Tavares signs $11 million to play at home. That we lose sight of what actually got these leagues going. And... You know, I can't even imagine, and we've talked to a few people off the record about this, but I can't even imagine what it is like now to see or to think about seeing the game of hockey through the eyes of guys who played in the 70s and didn't get an opportunity at big money. And to see the big money now, and you think, man, why am I not 40 years younger, 30 years younger? I'd find a way. The money that has been made is unbelievable. And a lot of the players who played back in the 70s have either gone on to other jobs or you know, some of them are still in the game as scouts. You want to live the life of a scout, it is, it is a grind. It is tough. Those guys work for everything that they get. So in seeing the way that the Canadian Women's Hockey League was starting to take hold, you look back at the Clarkson Cup, they had a great crowd. They have games being shown on TV. You have young female players able to point and say, that's a role model for me. I would love to be able to do this. Now, it hasn't been that easy because there isn't the $330 million. There isn't even million. There is hardly even thousand when you talk about salaries. So it's not been about that, but it's been about building the game. And we happen to have a great London connection to the building of the Canadian Women's Hockey League that has now ceased operations and has created a lot of questions going forward. We'll ask some of those questions, and we'll also go back in time a little bit with Candace Moxley, who is the head coach of Western's women's hockey team. One of her players, April Clark, was honored last night. We'll talk about that. But Candace, first off, how are you? 
I'm fantastic. Thank you. One of your players, honored last night at the Sports Celebrity Dinner, April Clark. Can you describe the kind of season you saw her have? The stats look amazing. Oh, yeah. No, she was fantastic for us this season. I mean, uh, she came in with this uh, determination to just go out on the ice and prove herself every every night. And uh, she, was, she was definitely a, a threat. Um, and it, it proved on the scoreboard. So she was she was a fantastic leader on the ice for for our group and also in the locker room. A twenty goal season in the OUA. How rare is that? Uh, you know what? Well, this is my first year coaching in the in the OUA, and I mean, it's uh, I, I think it's all doable. Um, I, I think what she she set out to do for herself this year and. and um, was fantastic, and I, I think it's definitely something that can be repeated. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities there where she just missed or just didn't came close to finishing. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be tough to do. But at the same time, I think it is definitely doable. Well, April Clark had a dynamite year and becomes one of those players that would certainly garner some notice from the professional ranks because of a season like that. And now we have, and I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, and Candace, maybe you can help us out in this. The CWHL ceases to exist, and that initially, for anybody who doesn't follow closely, sounds like a really, really devastating thing. But over the last day and a half, what we keep hearing from people is, yes, it is, it's bad for one reason, but it could actually help the professional side of women's hockey. How do you see this? Uh, you know what, it was, I, I think, all in all, it's a it's a blow to women's hockey. Um just for this league to kind of disband like this, uh, the players and GMs had no idea it was happening, and I had quite a few conversations after after I saw the news myself, calling our old GM with the Markham Thunder, and just uh, kind of hear her side of the story. Um, but there has been talks over over the years of how we grow the game and what direction it goes in, and I know the NHL has made some comments in the past where it's, they they were saying okay well if the CWHL and the NWHL which is the U.S. Pro, uh, professional counterpart um, if they stop operations then the NHL will step in and that was kind of the idea that was in the back of our of our heads like okay there is potentially something better out there um, but for it to come around like this and uh, to come out as a as a shock to the players the GMs the fans and and everyone. Um, I just don't know what that what the future holds, um, but everybody's I think crossing their fingers and hoping um, someone steps in. And I don't know if the NWHL is that answer as that U.S. league. Uh, I don't think the expansion there is is kind of the right way to go um, as of now. But I mean that's that's my personal opinion. Even before we get to kind of the NWHL and kind of the options that exist, let's take a minute because you have won the Clarkson Cup. You know what this was becoming. Can you describe the the growth of the CWHL and and how it was being looked on by players playing in it? Oh my goodness! Okay, so we'll we'll go way back a little bit here. Where I played in the, I was playing in the. We had a Canadian NWHL, um, and that's what I, when I graduated university, that's what I came back and played in. Um, and we had, it was franchises, we had owners. Um, but then they wanted to take, our owners wanted to take some time to try and figure out a proper business plan for the league. Um, but that would mean that the league wouldn't 
have a season under their belt. Um, and that's when the players stepped in and the CWHL was formed. So um, I played in the first year of the CWHL where we were trying to get sponsors. We had a board of directors, uh, which was a lot of players, um, but trying to get this league uh, a foundation and growth um, to the point where we had Scotiabank was one of our sponsors. I was going out um, while the Zamboni was, was going around the rink and half my gear and putting up dasher signs of Scotiabank um, so that they'd be present in our games um, in local rinks. So the, the league has come, uh, like it, it's been expo- exponential um, in terms of playing in the Clarkson Cup last year with the Markham Thunder. It was an uh, unbelievable experience. Um, the crowd was unbelievable. And even the, the viewership over, even from last year to this year with the Calgary-Montreal game, um, just it's just been fantastic. Um, so it's really hard to kind of just grasp what's happening right now. We're talking with Candace Moxley, who is the head coach of Western's women's hockey team, but also, can we call you a pioneer? Because really, you, you were for the <laughs> CWHL. If you're one of the ones going out in half your gear, putting up sponsorship signs, that's that's something. And I think that's something that we have to draw attention to. We get so caught up in professional sports of thinking, well, you know, those professional athletes, you know, they, they have it easy. But at the same time, when you're looking at something that is just starting up, we're talking about people who have other jobs, other lives. How do you fit in a hockey schedule when you're not really making enough money to to do anything? I, I mean, this is where some a lot of the players have found found jobs and and not not careers. A few have careers and they're able to make it work. And those, I mean. Those, those players and, and coaches are to a next level, um, but a lot of players have just found jobs to kind of to get by so that they can spend their time training and playing. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the national team players for Canada and the U.S., it's just they end up doing a lot of skills, skills clinics and running camps and doing a lot in the summer months so that they'll have enough income throughout the season that they can just ride that income and focus on their play. Um, so it, it's a really tough balance. Um, when I was coaching uh, Markham in the CWHL, I was also t- teaching at the Hill Academy um, where I had, it was my first year teaching, so I had three different preps that I had to be <laughs> making sure I had my ducks in a row and then going to practice and making sure I had practice plan in place and communicating with other coaches and, and making sure that we're on track with our team and, and that um, in that arena, so it was. It, it's really tough balance, but you you kind of uh, you find a way to make it work if you're passionate about it, and yeah. and I think that's what everybody has done. And there was an awful lot of passion, like you say. There was interest growing. We have such a great girls hockey program in this city through the Devilettes and and you look at the impact that bringing Canada and the U.S. had and the excitement around the game and now that kind of disappears and you mentioned having to get jobs it's not like a lot of the players who might not be with the national team and might not be able to get you know funding from the national team to help train and and then get ready and, and play in the national team events for anyone else who, who was also on these teams it's not like you can just go to the National Women's Hockey League play in the U.S. and grab a job, there's a thing called a green card that'll be awfully tough to get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And then so we, had, we had players that work shift work, too, where they'd be coming off with, 
night shifts and then on the road and playing games. And I don't know if, if you've stayed awake throughout the night and tried to function the next day. I mean, it's it's pretty tough thing to do. But, um, yeah, so a lot of police officers, firefighters, and they they have those schedules that they have to work in as well. And, I mean, I, it's it, it's something else with, like, like London itself is, is a hockey hotbed. And, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed my first year here at Western. But, I mean, the excitement around that Canada-U.S. game when it came to town was it was tough to get tickets. Um, so it was, it was exciting to see that. And I, I only hope that that series continues on, but I mean, we need, we need something for, for all these women to play in. In your own dressing room, how much of a conversation is professional hockey for people who are playing at the university level? Does it ever come up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It, it comes up and, and playing overseas and that experience as well is, is, always an option for these players. And uh, um, it's, I I know when, when the news came out, I was walking a recruit around campus and I just felt my phone in my pocket and it just kept going off. And I was like, Oh no, eventually I pulled it out to look and I was floored, but it was a lot of our players that are in our room currently texting me being like, what does this mean? What's happening? And I didn't have a ton of answers and I don't know if those answers are out there um, or if they're going to be coming along, but I, I hope there are some. We're talking with Candace Moxley, head coach of the Western women's hockey team. Candace, you mentioned the National Women's Hockey League is there. There has been suggestion that the National Hockey League could in some way get involved, but they wanted to see one league or a unified league. Can you look mm-hmm. at that as being a potential thing to watch for in the next days, weeks, months, who knows how long, just to say, hey, this might be a potential solution? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if the NHL will step in unless the NWHL backs down. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of question marks going and happening right now, and I hope there was some backroom conversation before that the CWHL disbanded like this. But I'm. I. I don't know if people are just hoping to ride the wave of of that Canada U.S. series, the NHL skills competition where players did unbelievable in that arena um but i I hope there's some answer or some plan that isn't just out in the media right now but i I just don't know and the nwhl they've had their own battles i i don't know how sustainable that league is because the one year that they they were in operation they pulled funding and, and paychecks from players in order to finish the season and and they had a sponsor step in and kind of uh, pretty much pick them up by their um, pick them up and actually finish the season. So I just don't know what everything looks like, and that's that's kind of the unnerving thing right now. Well, you did amazing things to help get the Canadian Women's Hockey League up and going, and uh, you need to be congratulated for that. So do a lot of other people, and it's sad to see that go. But I hope there is still a bright future for professional women's hockey. Candice, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. Candace Moxley, head coach of Western's women's hockey team. Half her gear, Zamboni is going around, and she's putting up sponsorship signs. That's what it takes. That's where this began. That's why, in a way, it's really sad to see this stop. 
But I still believe the appetite is starting to be there. I used to argue that it's going to be difficult for women's sports to succeed because you need that fan base. I really think that fan base has been created. I really think that fan base exists now to a greater degree than it ever has. And you have programs like the Devilettes to thank for it. So now, where does this go? Well... Will the NHL step in? Is that even right? Is that what you want to have happen? You know, it boils down to the commitment of the pioneers of a league. And anymore, it takes it takes a lot. Look at what Candace is, is describing. The idea that somebody is working shift work, working nights, and then all of a sudden you're traveling, you get maybe a couple hours sleep, and then you've got to play a game. That's just the way that they lived because they wanted this to succeed, to to see that not work out and to see how it was handled. Because I think in all of this, if you are going to criticize somebody, it is criticize the league for the way that they allowed this to just, boom, okay, we're done now. Make some phone calls. Give some people a heads up. That's only right. So that's unfortunate that that's the way that it was allowed to be carried out. You want to give some people a heads up. Is it that you are worried you'll give them a heads up and then the word spreads and and you don't get to control the message? Come on. There are things like group emails. You can easily set this up and say, hey, just want to let you know an announcement's coming out in two minutes. Just at least something. They didn't have that. So this league that had been built is now no more. And it's not coming back. This is not, oh, well, you know, we'll we'll put it on hiatus for a year. No, it's done. And the idea that you could go and just play in the United States, that's not all that feasible. As was pointed out, if you have someone playing for a national team program, they get enough funding that they could potentially do something like that if you can work out a green card. But for most people, no, that's, that's not doable. And you don't have that many people who are being funded by the national program to be able to go and 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 even then you know you're not making a ton of money but you're committing yourself to that national program we used to have one in men's hockey in this country so what do you do with this that's that's the golden question right there because you're not going to attract all of the players you're not going to bring 75 players out of the Canadian Women's Hockey League you are going to render most of those players without a job because they can't just pick up and move to the United States. So it's sad in that way because I really believe this was building momentum. But to have one league is what is important. Is it the National Women's Hockey League? There are a lot of people kind of saying, no, I don't really like what's happening there. Maybe we need a new league. That's happened before in sports. We'll see. Let's take a break. We will talk more about what is coming up. We're going to visit with Global National reporter Abigail Beeman. A few other things to do on London Live. We'll update you in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Hey, big thanks to Tyler. Tyler sent in a picture of the sign that we were referring to earlier that you can see as you cross the Ambassador Bridge going into Windsor, essentially coming into Ontario. Who designed this? This this is awful. I was talking about the open for business slogan being sleazy. Somebody else suggested tacky. That's maybe a better word for it. This sign is a downright mess. I'm going to tweet this sign 
out. So you can find that at Stubbs 980. I'll do it while Jacqueline LaBelle is presenting the news to us. But here, I just have to describe it to you just in case you aren't on Twitter. It says, welcome to, in a blue banner, and then Ontario under it is white with black lettering and and kind of in the Ontario font, that's fine. And then there's another blue banner under it. The welcome to, the W is capitalized, and then the Elkham of welcome, all small letters, and then the two, the T is capitalized, and the O is small, then you have Ontario, and then it's all caps, open for business. Who designed this? This is the worst sign I've ever seen. If you were over at, say, Fanshawe College and you were taking graphic design and somebody gave this to you, you would fail them. You would give them an absolute F for this sign, saying, no, no, that's not the way we make signs. That looks awful. Who made this? This is a joke. Take that down. I don't want to see any more of those. News is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Still can't get over that sign. It's worse than anything I could have pictured. Hey, welcome to Ontario. Uh, We uh, don't understand basic punctuation. We use more than one font. We kind of piece things together. We just kind of fly by the seat of our pants here. But we're open for business. Huh? Come right this way. Open for business. Right here in the back. I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. I think it's terrible. Poorly, poorly done. And I'll post this on Facebook, too. So, in fact, I am just about to do that as I pick the picture that Tyler had sent. Okay, so it's up on my Facebook page as well if you want to have a look at this poorly designed sign. I don't know who put this together. Come on, you're the government. You can go to anybody and offer them an exorbitant amount of money, and they'll just say, okay, sure. And then if that doesn't work out, if you get it back, you can just say, oh, okay, well, you can keep the money. That's, that's a terrible sign. We'll go somewhere else, and we'll just spend more money, and we'll make it again. You're the government. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Are you kidding me? Somebody looked at that and said, fantastic. You mean, and, and here, I'll describe it for you if you haven't been able to see it. At the top of the sign, in white lettering on a blue bar, it says, Welcome to, and both the W on welcome and the T on to are capitalized. What? And then it says Ontario, and it has Ontario in its little font, black lettering, little red leaf on a white background. And then there's another bar in all caps that says, Open for Business. Yeah, yeah. You, have you got the picture of that sign? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you know, make sure you put a capital T on the two. That'll make it stand out. And, uh, yeah, just just throw on something at the at the bottom there. Put on open for business. Oh, wait, all caps was stuck down. Ah, don't worry about that. It'll be fine. Nobody will notice. This is terrible. Terrible. Okay, next up, we'll talk about the federal government and something that has been a little messy there, too. SNC-Lavalin. But how Port Elgin actually intertwines. Abigail Beeman, Global National Reporter, will join us. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We can hear you. 
Andrea checked out the sign on Twitter, says, this is just awful. What an embarrassment. I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking that. Try not to get how a sign looks into any kind of great kerfuffle here, but seriously, if you're going to put something out that is the part of our province that welcomes you to our province, make it look good. That's a joke. It's terrible. Okay, from there, let's turn to a story at the federal level that has become very messy. And it may not ever be unmessied, but it has a lot of different offshoots. And one of those offshoots has actually reached up and zoomed on by us all the way up to a place you may visit in the next couple of months as the weather gets nicer. Go to Port Elgin. You know, is Sobble's full? Stop by Port Elgin for sure. Great spot. Well, Abigail Beeman, Global National, Ottawa correspondent, was there not too long ago. And I would encourage you to take a look at what Abigail has done at 980cfpl.ca and globalnews.ca in reporting on this. But she's been nice enough to join us now to talk about the tie that Port Elgin has to SNC-Lavalin. Abigail, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Abigail, can you tell us a little bit about how you even decided to seek out a story that Port Elgin somehow was tied (laughs) into SNC-Lavalin? Absolutely. So I was uh, following the SNC affair closely and listening to all of the Prime Minister's news conferences. And time and time again, he would say as part of his defense uh, on SNC-Lavalin jobs that no, this was not just about jobs in Quebec, but jobs right across the country. And then he proceeded to name a number of communities, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, but he also named Port Elgin, Ontario. I caught it three times. It stood out to me as somebody who used to report in the southwestern Ontario area. I've visited Port Elgin a number of times. I am familiar with it, spent time there. I don't know that everybody across the country is. And so it it stuck out to me. uh, And I wondered, why is he mentioning Port Elgin? And of the list of all the places, I took a look at all the places he was mentioning. They all have SNC offices, but Port Elgin was the tiniest by far with just about 8,000 people. Uh, So I wanted to find out, well, how many people work for SNC-Lavalin in Port And the answer is that the SNC-Lavalin office is one unit in a small strip mall in Port Elgin and local politicians estimate we're talking about about a dozen jobs. So certainly nowhere near that 9,000 figure obviously that you hear over and over again. But an interesting wrinkle to this story is uh, as many people in the area know that 20 minutes away from Port Elgin lies the Bruce Power Plant which is obviously a major employer in town and SNC has part of the contract for the major refurbishment of that plant, uh, which will unfold over the next few years. So there is an SNC connection in the area. The one in Port Elgin is very, very tiny, but it started to raise some more questions as to whether the Prime Minister was suggesting that there's a threat to nuclear jobs uh, as separate from the SNC question. Interesting. We're talking with Abigail Beeman, Ottawa correspondent with Global National. You can follow Abigail at Abigail Beeman, Beeman spelled B-I-M-M-A-N. So do you expect that this was maybe just something that had been written for the prime minister that he just picked up on this or was he doing this on purpose do you think 
Well, we asked the prime minister's office uh, why he was mentioning Port Elgin, and they repeated to us what they've repeated before, that he was just me- mentioning cities to show, you know, the impact, the location of SNC offices right across the country. But again, they have over a hundred, more than 130 offices right across Canada. So uh, I am still curious about Port Elgin as the uh, selection. The prime minister's office did, when I pressed back about the nuclear component, did say his comments were not related to the nuclear industry. But worth noting also that both both SNC and Bruce Power uh, just ignored questions about uh, whether there's a threat to nuclear jobs right now. So some questions swirling. I liked how one resident of Port Elgin put it because we took the video to people in town. And by the way, nobody had heard that the prime minister had been mentioning their town. It was news to them, uh, including uh, the mayor. We were the first ones to, to bring it to him. Um, happy for the attention for the most part uh, that Port Elgin doesn't hit national news very often. But the way one resident put it to me was, you know, I think he was just looking for a place in Ontario and he wouldn't get much sympathy if he said Toronto. So I understand why he might pick our town. Uh, but uh, no, no clear answer from the prime minister's office on this one. What exactly are you looking for going forward in the SNC-Lavalin story? What are you interested in seeing maybe emerge next? Right. So I think the big question for us today, and certainly the one we've been asking dozens and dozens of politicians on the Hill today, is will Jody Wilson-Raybould be allowed to stay in caucus? So today, the Ontario caucus met to have that discussion separately. The uh, the, the Liberal caucus uh, has uh, regional breakdowns. Um, we were told by uh, one of the ministers from the West that there was no Pacific caucus. That would be the, the caucus that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould would be part of. But Ontario caucus caucus, the largest caucus, was meeting today, and they were very tight-lipped coming out of that meeting as to whether they had reached any sort of consensus about Jody Wilson-Raybould's future in caucus, though many or a few MPs were speaking very pointedly about the breach of trust in terms of the uh, recording that Jody Wilson-Raybould made of her conversation with Michael Warnick. There are uh, We're seeing a lot more Liberals publicly uh, state their uh, upset over that issue. But that would be the next chapter to unfold here. And then we also have uh, the testimony that Gerald Butts has submitted to the Justice Committee, conversations, text messages, co- and notes from his conversations with Jody Wilson-Raybould. So those are the threads that we're following right now. But this is a story with many twists and turns. All right. Well, we'll leave it to you to continue to follow it. Abigail, keep up the great work. Thanks for the time today. Thank you so much. That is Abigail Beeman, Ottawa Global News National Correspondent. And yeah, those those are the big questions. I mean, will Jody Wilson-Raybould be allowed to remain in caucus? And Abigail mentioned kind of the outspoken nature of certain MPs that have come out, liberal MPs, about, you know, the actions of Ms. Wilson-Raybould. It's it's interesting. You look at this almost in the, the fervor of, of how Brexit is being dealt with. You've got people who, who all of a sudden start getting very fired up about things, that maybe they've been quiet until now. And the meeting of the caucus emerges with a lot of tight lips. We'll see if that changes and what the testimony of Gerald Butts does. You can pay attention to Global National tonight and we'll see what unfolds there. But Port Elgin, yeah, that's one to watch for because of its proximity to the Bruce nuclear power plant. This story could get bigger and bigger and bigger if we add in that component. We'll take a break. We'll come back to close things out in a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. 
Okay, quick update on the Canadian Women's Hockey League that we were talking about earlier and now. What happens next? Emily Kaplan is a reporter for ESPN and was talking with the commissioner of the National Women's Hockey League. That's Danny Ryland. And Danny Ryland had said they plan to have teams in Toronto and Montreal as early as next year. So the National Women's Hockey League, in a way, looking to capitalize on the end of the CWHL. What does that mean? Well, their plan is to have seven teams. They have the existing franchises, Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, Connecticut, Minnesota, and then they would try and add Toronto and Montreal. So this is what people were talking about and saying a step back may actually push things forward for something like women's professional hockey. The concern becomes, you know, what about players living in Calgary, Alberta? Calgary Inferno have been a pioneering team in the Canadian Women's Hockey League. They're the ones who just won the championship, the Clarkson Cup. What happens there? Because you would have to have players move to Toronto and Montreal. And again, they're not saying, hey, we're going to expand to Toronto and Montreal and everybody's going to make $30,000 a year. That's not it. Their salary cap is set at $100,000. The lowest paid player makes $2,500. It's not easy to make it through a month on $2,500. So that's that's not really a good plan. Uh, it's still going to involve the same sorts of things that they have. And the other thing that is being reported, and this has really been put into some interesting perspective by a tweet. Uh, let me first get to the actual report. Uh, the report comes from Pierre Lebrun, who also does some things for ESPN. And he says the NHL is going from paying $50,000 to each women's league to now paying $100,000 for the one league remaining. That's according to a source. And someone put some perspective on that with a tweet saying, so let me let me get this straight here. The National Hockey League is going to contribute less than 10% of the salary that Tom Wilson of the Washington Capitals forfeited during his suspension this past year, which ended up being 14 games, I think, in total. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. I mean, you know, the NHL, it's not their job to prop up the Canadian Women's Hockey League or the National Women's Hockey League. But when you start breaking it down into numbers like that, there's a lot of money coming into the National Hockey League. They now have to think, and this this is the thing, now that it's down to one league, they now have to think, okay, do we want to become a big participant in this? Because you have seen the national coverage in both Canada and the United States of this story. And you have seen the outcry and the concern. Now, when something stops and nobody pays attention, that's when you know, okay, well, we didn't really have anything there. When something stops and people pay attention, you had something. So that's what's happening. People are paying attention. People are being outspoken. So you had something there. Now the National Hockey League has to decide whether or not they would like to get in on this and maybe you know, contribute more than $100,000 to one league. 
There was a poll that came out from Nanos Research. Just get you caught up on some numbers. We're not close enough to the federal election to really look at this and say, yeah, okay, uh, this is going to be the be-all and the end-all. But interesting to see that 35.1% of Canadians tracked in the latest Nanos federal ballot tracking said they would vote for the Conservatives in the next federal election. Liberals, 34.6%. So it's basically a dead heat. 35.1 to 34.6. NDP lagging quite far behind, 16.6%. And then you've got the Greens at 8.1, the Bloc Québécois at 4.4, and the People's Party of Canada did register 0.5%. And what they did was they asked a few other questions. They asked whether people would consider voting for each of the federal parties. Um, 49.6% of Canadians said they would consider voting Liberal. 45.7% would consider voting Conservative. And 4 in 10, 40% would consider voting NDP. Preferred Prime Minister, this is interesting. They looked and they said the preferred Prime Minister actually has Justin Trudeau as the preferred Prime Minister, and it wasn't a dead heat this time around. 31.1% of Canadians said they would have Justin Trudeau as the preferred Prime Minister. Andrew Scheer sitting at 26.7, and Jagmeet Singh at 7.8%. Elizabeth May virtually tied with Jagmeet Singh at 7.6%. So some of the results from the latest Nanos tracking. Interesting to see how you've got people saying, okay, it's a dead heat basically between conservatives and liberals, but then when you bring in who would you rather have as prime minister, Trudeau still has a significant five-point lead. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So does that say something about Andrew Scheer? I think it does. Absolutely. I think it does. Uh, thanks again for all of the ideas on what we should do for a bet between myself and Larry Malott, the two broadcasters of the London Knights and the Guelph Storm on chorus radio stations. I think the latest one, and I, this is what I need to know, uh, can you make a bet from one side and have a different outcome on the other? I guess they do it when they have political leaders who say, okay, I'll send you five pounds of uh, Atlantic red herring and you send me uh, 12 of some craft beer that somebody in your city makes. I guess they do that because one of the suggestions that was made by Mike that I really like involves tying the losing broadcaster to a net and the other guy shooting pucks at him. I would do that. I'm confident, very confident, but I'm not sure Larry Mallott wants to do that. And I don't want to force Larry into doing something he doesn't want to do. So could he do something different? If you have a better idea than firing pucks at somebody tied to a net, I don't think it's possible to have a better idea. Again, thanks to Mike for that. But you can always email it to mike at 980cfpl.ca. Andrea Horvath is on the show tomorrow. We are also going to be talking about a big success story in the hockey world. May talk more about Canadian Women's Hockey League stuff, including speak with a player who just won the Clarkson Cup. See what the life of a player is like, or was like, before the league folded. Thanks to Matt McInnes, London Live, brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln in London. News is next on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.